Hey everyone, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Paula Findlay. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Nick Goldston. And this is our triathlon podcast where we talk about what's going on in triathlon. We answer your questions. Eric and I are both professional triathletes. Nick is a amateur triathlete, professional musician, and we are all here in person today, which is very exciting and always makes the pods better, I think. Also, it's kind of a gloomy day and it's nice to have this fireplace in front of us here. The Oilers game on in the background. No, yeah, we are not multitasking. And the, podca- the podcast <laughs> is like the fifth thing we're doing right now. <laughs> we just had a great dinner. What do we have for dinner? Annie's uh, white. Ch- we don't tell people uh, that we have Annie's for dinner. We, we, had we would never do that. We had broccoli. salmon, broccoli, cauliflower. And then I said to the boys, do you want me to make a pasta with pesto sauce or do you want me to make Annie's? And they chose Annie's. I was strong on Annie's. Nick definitely swayed the, the decision the vote. hard. But I would I didn't go into the grocery store and buy the Annie's. It was already here. That is true. Yeah, I like to eat it for lunch sometimes. It's been a great week. We're still down here in Ventura. Nick is back up here for the second time in 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he came up to uh, spectate some friends doing the Ventura Marathon and Half Marathon. We actually got to watch those friends who are now our friends as well, Keith and Serena, finish the, the Half Marathon. Everybody set PRs. It's a cool downhill course, beautiful day. And then we went out and rode in the Santa Monica Mountains. It was about as good as a Sunday could get. Are you guys sick of the Santa Monica Mountains yet, riding in them? Absolutely not. And I feel like we've really only done like half of the climb not because we're half. just on this end of them. We're not, not on, even the, half. on the Santa Monica side. Yeah, but I like this side of the P- of PCH way better. Yeah. As you get closer to Santa Monica, it just gets way busier. And it's not even the busyness. It's like the cars parked along the side of the road. Yep. I get so nervous that one's going to open the door or something, but... The further north you get towards Ventura, the coast is quite quiet. Zuma Beach is kind of the divider. Yes. Zuma Beach and north, it's nice and open. Yep. Not as many cars parked along the side. And the canyons are a little emptier. Because the only real concern you have with the canyons and the Santa Monica Mountains isn't so much people commuting on them because they don't really go many places. It's sports car and sports bike enthusiasts. Yeah. Yeah. We see many millions of dollars of cars every time we ride there. But no, it's really cool. We want to buy a house here, but that's probably impossible. But that's how much we like it. How have you guys been feeling about your training? Sea level, it's been like a month now. Do you guys feel even a difference at sea level? Do you, do you notice it? I notice it a lot. I, I have this growing suspicion that I don't handle altitude. Well, I know I do not handle altitude as well as Paula. I don't know if Paula handles altitude better than most people or if I handle it worse. But anytime we've gone to Canmore... Flagstaff, and even when we're in Bend, I feel like it's it's really easy for me to kind of feel like I end up in a hole and I'm just fatigued all the time. Versus here, I feel like I'm actually pretty well on top of the training. I'm recovering from it. I don't feel like this growing wave of fatigue. So I, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I feel yeah. Like I guess people well. most people think about coming to sea level is like during the activity it's easier, but it actually it does help you recover better outside of the activity too. So yeah, we feel we both feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, vibes are good next to the ocean, bike rides, runs. Everything's going great. The one downside is the pool, which is a beautiful pool in here in Ventura, has been missing a part for about two weeks. So we've been swimming in like the bathtub temperature, water aerobics pool, savagely trying to get a lane with all of the... (laughs) The advantage of it is it's 25 meters, not yards. So it's actually a better pool, but the water's a little warm. It's nice for the first five minutes, right? And then you're like, give me a regular temperature pool. Yeah, Yeah, I really like it. It's like dual purpose heat acclimation. Yep. And Eric has done now two weeks with over 100K of running in a row. Yeah, Eric has some double run days that I don't do. So he gets to 100. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I do really well off of just a lot of like not crazy high intensity, but just lots of volume. I push things just a little bit. Like we've been doing the fat max riding, which is like zone two. And I feel like I get really fit off of that without blowing myself up and just, yeah, becoming so fatigued. I can't come back from it. And how much of the running here for you guys has been hard surface versus soft surface? Cause in bend you do almost exclusively soft surface. That is true. That's the difference. I'd say probably like half of it here. Mm. I try to do most easy runs. We drive to a place that has, uh, some trail, but out the door here, it's like beautiful beachfront path, but it's concrete. So you do you feel like that's like a, a, a significant downside of being here? Um, is there, is there any you, upside? If, if you can handle it, it like hardens your legs a bit. Yeah. Isn't it? I'm always really scared when we go to Oceanside because we spend the whole winter running on trails and bend, and then we go run concrete as fast as we can at Oceanside. And I always feel like if I'm going to get a stress fracture or an injury of any sort, it's going to happen here and it's just going to be devastating. So I feel like maybe 50% between what we do in Bend and what we do here is a good amount of like hardening your legs, but not overdoing it. And really the main struggle since we've been here has just been the rain. So we haven't been able to go on trail as much as we would like just because they've been muddy. It's been historically a very rainy winter, I think, right? Yes, very much. Last year was also very rainy, but these are these are outlier years for right, sure. Right. So my last thing I want to, I'm just curious about this as an age grouper who does by far most of my running on hard surfaces. Do you think if you were to do the same amount of volume time-wise, but doing it way slower, you would not even consider like, it's like, oh, I don't need to run soft surface. I, if I'm running slow, I can run hard surface. Or do you no. think... No. Still, still, the hard surface would be a, an issue. Yeah, every single st- time you step down, you're like stopped versus having a bit of give. I'm just thinking of like most people who listen to this podcast, I'm sure run hard surfaces. Yeah, I mean, if you have to do it, then you have to do it. But as opposed to running on soft surface, I really feel like I can feel my legs protecting themselves, like not hitting the ground as confidently. There's just like this, ugh, like a little bit of hesitation almost and it's like some counter contraction of trying to minimize the impact versus hitting the ground, striking the ground powerfully and confidently. Cool. And is there anything else you've been working on or anything else you've been doing since you've been here? Um, yeah, yeah. I actually took, um, I took this week off from, from doing the video, uh, because I've been working really hard on some other aspects of TTL that I'm really excited about. Uh, we really want to like beef up the community, feel of it on our website. And so I've been kind of looking at a couple different platforms that would allow us to have more frequent newsletters and maybe have like a chat function. We've talked about this so for years, times. you know, like, oh, do we do a Discord? Do we do a Slack channel, et cetera? And I'm getting really serious about it this winter and working with our web guy, Danny, who's just a longtime friend and kind of talking through all the pros and cons and looking at some different like mock-ups. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I'm really excited about that. So I've actually been working on putting together a little bit of a poll that everybody can take part in. I guess it's more like a questionnaire. Um, and if it'll be done by the time this podcast comes out, then I'll try to, we'll try to link that in the show notes. Otherwise, just like check your email inbox if you're a, a newsletter subscriber of ours already or on, I'll post it on Instagram stories as well. And it's just going to kind of be like, would you like to see TTL do more of X or more of this. And do you wish there was a chat or do you wish that we did more podcasts with hosts, with guests, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, the express goal is just to make it more what you're looking for and, and make it better. So if you can be part of that, that'd be awesome. The whole point is to make it better for the people who are listening. Yeah. So that's, we want to do that. I lose, I lose sleep at night trying to think about how to make TTL more awesome. So this is a way you can help. I love it. 
Okay, we're going to move on to questions here, but first we have a very fun listener-submitted segment, and it'll be a this or that. This or that with TTL. So it starts here with, hey crew, long listener, supporter from a day one, and a fan from Slovenia, Europe here. Nice. Yep, I've been there many times. Uh, I have a couple of this or that questions. Some are sport-related, and some are just for fun. Anyway, let's get to it. With cycling season in Europe approaching soon... Pogaccia or Vingegaard? Or would Paula choose Remco? What do you guys think? To what with? <laughs> wow, that, uh, that got spicy real quick. <laughs> oh my what? god. Um, or just <laughs> your favorite. Yeah, it's like a f Mary Kill Pogaccia. <laughs> um, no. Who do you think is gonna have a better year? Oh. Oh, or maybe, or maybe, who or do you, you like? Yeah, who do you like? Who, you, who are you rooting for? I like Remco the best. Remco, okay, but is he really a contender for a G, top of GC? I don't care. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to see him win stages or something, and look at on his TT bike. Yeah, he's gonna do that. That's here for the time trial specialist. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. What about you, Eric? Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I think I guess I would maybe say if I'm not gonna go with Remco, just to be you know boring. Um. I'm probably more drawn to Pogaccia. Yeah. Just he like seems a little bit more emotive, a little bit more human and, and Ving Vingigo, Vingagard, whatever is just like I am <laughs> I am a Watt robot. And last year it very much felt like he he like for went for went. <laughs> uh he didn't do anything really that exciting other than like play the cards right. Yeah, I feel like in the post extreme EPO generation like, era of cycling, that's that's kind of the way it is. It's like you have to just be super consistent, never lose time versus like Lance like exploding just, off the front right. like a missile in the right, big ring right. going up Vaughn 2. Right. Like, it's a little less glamorous, but that's what it takes. You just can have no weakness. Yeah, yeah. And he did. He did a great job. Except that time trial. That time trial was... With Pogaccia? No, what like oh was you're right. go or was like, like second or something. Oh wow, and then yeah. he like beat everybody like five minutes. Oh yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, and he's, was, no, you're right. You're right. That was fun. Okay, next one here: Wout Van Aert or Matthew Vanderpool. I do think I really like Wout. Both of these guys are pretty fun. I think they're both. Great. Yeah. Is Vanderpool the guy that was in that movie we just watched? Yeah, in the Zwift Academy yeah, cycling. He, I like that guy. He's very. They're both cool. Yeah, those are both winners. Well, that's the dude that has like the Blink-182 <laughs> boy band hair. <laughs> yeah. Cool. For skiing, would you rather go uphill or downhill? Downhill. I'd actually rather go downhill skiing. Wow. It's funny because you guys choose to go up too. Well, it makes you really makes you appreciate it. Yes, of down. course. <laughs> Next, for the gym, barbell, dumbbell, or yoga mat? I would never going to go to... I'm going to go yoga mat, but... Your personal yoga mat. Right. Nothing not, the, not the gym yoga not mat that's still a little moist from mat. the previous use. Yeah, personal yoga mat. Swimming briefs or long swimming pants? Briefs. Jammers or briefs? To be clear, they're they're called jammers and that is a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> they're not jammers are unfortunately not cool. Sorry guys. And then <laughs> gelée or jacket with sleeves over arms for cycling. A gelée is a vest. What's a jacket with sleeves over arms? A jacket. <laughs> I don't know if I was uh, not privy to this uh, new fashion trend. <laughs> I think I guess I'd go the vest. I like vest. Yeah, vest. Me too. Got a lot of options. And then there's some. There's some real quick. Some fun, not sport related ones. Schwarzenegger or Stallone. I don't have an opinion on Terminator. that. Terminator. Terminator. Brad Pitt or George Clooney. 
George Clooney. To me, it's Brad Pitt and George Clooney together. That's the best. The two of them <laughs> in like a an Oceans movie are just like the chemistry is unbelievable. Yeah. Our brother wear out though. Wait, Brad Pitt's not no brother wear out though. Is he not? I think it's just George Clooney. Oh, is it really just George? Clooney? But that's a great movie. Yeah. Love that movie. All right, so maybe I'm swinging towards George Clooney then. Okay. T Swift or Miley Cyrus? I know Paula's gonna go so Miley. hard. T Swift. Miley all the way. Taylor Swift. Yeah. I've, I my my. Uh, I don't even my like research is the uh, the uh, Grammys this yes. year. That is it. I don't even, I don't have any obsession with Taylor Swift's music. I'm just fascinated by her. Of course. Yes. Well, who could of not course. be? Who could yes. not be at least interested? But I've lis- listened, she was like the um, the speaker at a graduation and she just gave this like incredible, she's really smart and well-spoken. And when she talks to a crowd, it sounds like she's talking to her friends. Yeah. It's a crazy trait to have. Yeah, I would I would totally agree. As like a total complete package, entrepreneur, businesswoman, brand, the whole thing, Taylor Swift, but just brand an interesting person, Miley is She's just a little edgier. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna move on to questions. And everyone listening, you can submit your questions at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. We had really good questions this week and we had a lot. So keep those coming. Really appreciate that. You know, if you if you submit it's kind of a hack to do it, this or that. You get like seven questions. That's true. Yeah, that's it's true. And Nick gets really happy when people submit games. Yes, oh, we're ma- going to get so many. It equals less work for Nick that's because right. he's usually the one that has to come up with the games. And it has to be like a decently proposed. I don't I don't always use them because sometimes it's like. Sometimes they're not good. What would you rather do, race without socks or race without a helmet? It's like, okay, well, that doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> we're going to get in trouble either way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so make sure they're good. But if you want to submit a game, we're happy to hear it. That's right. Uh, and you can also become a podcast supporter at that same link. And last week we sent out a question that was exclusively for podcast supporters. We're also working on another kind of, we're trying to work on a little discount thing for podcast supporters. We're still in the works on that, but that, that'll be really fun. And then finally, we pick a podcast supporter to win a prize every week. And this week we randomly picked our, oh boy, here we go, winner Christy Kowalczyk. Kowalczyk? Kowalczyk. That's what I'm going with. Yes, Kowalczyk. Okay, great. Christy, you won. Congratulations. You won some kind of TTL or Eric or Paula branded bottle. Yep. So just send me a message on Instagram or send an email in and with your address and we'll get that to you. Okay, first question here. I'm one of those who loves to follow all triathlon related stuff but I've never done an official triathlon race myself. I have been training for a race, but it was in a COVID era and was canceled. And then I just lost the motivation. I'm still quite active. I go to the gym and I cycle in the summer. However, I cannot bring myself to go and train for a race. Do you have any advice on how to approach training for a race? Do I just sign up and then go from there or train a bit first and then see where my fitness is at? How long would it usually take to train for a race? Eight to 12 weeks? So do you think this person might be falling into a trap here of thinking that they have to race to enjoy triathlon, or do you think it's a necessary part of the sport? I mean, I think the upside of, of a race outside of the obvious is something to train for and like an accomplishment is, is a cool scene. Like we love going to Oceanside, not because we want to race in April against the best people in the world, generally speaking, but because it's the course is lined with age groupers, like riding through Camp Pendleton is cool. It's like a whole scene and it's, it's actually fun to go to. So I wouldn't get caught up thinking that you need to go to a race and like have the best race of your life rather than think of it like a gravel thing. You're going to experience the course, see a new city. It's fun. 
connect with people who have been training in their garages as well all winter. That being said, I don't think you have to race. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't want to race, like my, my personal strategy for this year is I'm just getting generally fit. This is approved by my coach. <laughs> and as I feel like I want to race and I'm ready to race, I will put a race on the calendar a month out. That sounds like a luxury. It is a luxury because I have an extremely successful fast fiance. <laughs> well, okay. I'd also and well, we're established. as a professional, that's true. But, but if you are, if you want to do Ironman races that sell out, then yes, maybe signing up yes. a month out is a luxury. But there are many local races that you can do that are still awesome. They may not have as much fanfare as Ironman branded races, but they're still awesome. And you're supporting like local triathlon organizations that can be really fun maybe a little less pressure on yourself too knowing that it's kind of just people are going there a little more to have fun it's not like they've planned six months of their training around it yeah i would do that i mean that's what i did the first five years of being a triathlete or doing triathlons i just did the blue lake triathlon and the hag lake triathlon and the aluminum man triathlon all like within 45 minutes of driving from my house and and had a blast and met a lot of cool people and fell in love with sport do you think eight? She's, the question was eight to twelve weeks to train. I don't even know what distance depending we're talking on, about here. And depending on your fitness, a million if you, things. If you right? want to do a sprint, you can do one in probably three weeks and complete it. If you want to nail an Ironman, you might need a year. Like yeah. It's just how how good do you want to do, and how much do you care about the result, and versus just being out there and completing. I have people who I'm friends with who come from cycling or come from running or come from swimming who want to do a triathlon, and they ask me, you know, like how long do I need to train? Well, I tell them most of them, if you're, you know, if you're experienced in one of those sports, you can go do it tomorrow, but that's not a sprint, for example. But is that really the point? Don't we do this, like you said, as like this, this thing that you worked for that then when you cross that line, you think of all the work you put into it. I mean, it just kind of depends. Not everyone. Yeah. It just depends on who you are. Like I jumped into that hundred mile mountain bike race last year, definitely (laughs) having no real preparation for biking, mountain biking 100 miles. But after I finished it, my brain was instantly like, oh my gosh, I know all the ways that I'm going to do it better next year now that I know what this is like and I've got the course dialed and I'm going to like, oh, you know? No, that's a really good point, actually. Not 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 ruining it for yourself by building it up too much. Just yeah. like, let's see if I like this. Like You don't have to nail it and win the first time. That would be strange, actually. <laughs> yeah, that might actually send you down this pathway of like extremely high expectations yes. and not fun. Right. <laughs> okay, next question here is from Elizabeth. Oh boy. Hi, Eric, Paul, and Nick. After two years of spectating Oceanside 70.3, always drive down specifically to see you two race, I was roped into doing the race this year for the Challenge Athlete Foundation. There are so many things that do not appeal to me about this race, cold ocean swim and hilly roads to name a few, but the one thing that I'm most terrified about is the road conditions. I live about 20 miles up the road, so I have had the chance to ride parts of the course, minus the base. A few weeks ago, the roads were a mess, and yes, of course, I got a flat tire. Can I change a flat tire? Yes. Does it take me half a day? Also, yes. My bike shop suggested possibly going tubeless for the race as the tire would seal if I get a puncture. My concern is if it doesn't seal, am I basically screwed and will be out of the race, whereas at least I can do my best to change a tire if I have tubes. They said another trick they have done is to put sealant in the tube tires. Not sure exactly how that works, but just sounds like a great big mess if I flat out. I really don't know much about any of it, but was wondering what your suggestions would be on going tubeless for this race. Thanks for your help, and I will hopefully channel my inner Eric and Paula to make it through this thing. Elizabeth. Gosh, if we just had, if we just made five bucks for every person that we converted to tubula, tubeless, we wouldn't, tubeless? Ha- we wouldn't have to do the T100 series. <laughs> We'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> be no problem. Um, 
No, you're, you're totally right about almost everything, except you can, if your tubeless does not seal when you get a puncture, assuming it's not a catastrophic giant slice in your tire, you can put a tube in there, worst case scenario, and pump it but back it's, up. But it's very hard to get off and on, isn't it? Not anymore. No, that oh. that was early days. Now I can, I can get a lot of tubeless tires off with my fingers. I, I, just, put, oh. I just put tires on with my hands. Yeah. So um, carrying a tube is still an option. Though. It is totally, totally still an option. It is a bit of a mess. You'll have to change the valve. Just oh. take it out. Right? So, but but you will be able to finish. It's not it's not like a super quick fast thing. But yeah, and messy. But generally speaking, like if if the tubeless does not seal, this is a pretty mega flat. You were definitely going to get a flat with a tube, and it was going to be a bit of a process of putting no matter what. putting a gel wrap or something in there to try to keep the tire from the tube from popping through the tire. No matter what. The thing I think of in a race, the chances of you getting that bad of a flat is pretty low because so many people are riding that course. And Ironman does it. generally sweep the course. Yeah. yeah, those are the kind of flats you're getting with razor blades. Razor blades or Which some are- kind of strange, like a screw that's like pointing up or something right, like that. Right, right. Tacks thrown down on the So blade. usually like a pinch flat that you might get on a course like Oceanside don't happen with tubeless as much. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. to pinch. You'd have to slam. Oh, true, true. You'd have to slam a sharp crack so hard that it actually slices the tire open. Okay. Okay, and then we talked about this either last week or two weeks ago. What do you think about on a TT bike running those tire inserts, which is those like spongy little things no, that that don't do it. Don't don't worry about it. No, completely unnecessary. Helpful in any way? No. Hurtful in any way? Heavier. More rolling resistance, potentially. Yeah, okay. The opposite of what a TT bike's supposed to do. Right. And then final thing is, would you tell Elizabeth to bring some kind of Dynaplug situation? Yeah, yeah. Um, like the Dynaplug Racer, I think is what they call it or something. It's just got, it's a double-ended, got plugs on both ends. It weighs almost nothing. You can like tape it to your seat post. Probably forget it's even there. So small, might as well bring it. And, and the point of it is, sometimes there are punctures that are a little too big for the sealant to seal by itself, and the Dynaplug just adds kind of mass in there so that the yeah. sealant can work around it. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like tar, kind of. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like I've had a Dynaplug in for six months. And, oh, it just like it stays. But yeah, it's it's like it fuses with the tire. Got it. On a microscopic level. It's like when you break your bone, it's like now that part of your bone is stronger than the rest yeah. of the bone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's true, though. I wouldn't go exactly yeah, that yeah. far. <laughs> right. I think I've gotten double stress fractures in the same place. Ouch. They're, the the, the Dynaplugs are totally, you can leave them in for a long time. It's totally fine. But the thing is, most likely you are going to need a CO2 or some sort of a pump thing. Like if you're, oh, going, yeah. if you're going to the Dynaplug level, you've lost enough air that you need to pump it back up. Yeah. So Elizabeth, for sure... The advice your shop gave you, it sounds like Eric, the, the guru here, is in agreement on. What about putting sealant with an inner tube setup? I mean, I've heard people talk about that. I don't, I'm with you. I'm like, that sounds like there's a chance that might work, but it. Because the seems, sealant can't roll in the tube. It's probably pressed right up. You, uh, yeah. It, it seems so. I mean, what are the chances? Because like, it would have to seal the hole in the tube as well as the hole in the tire. Because oh, I yeah, you're right. I think we're losing people with the tire talk. Mm. Are we losing you, Paula? Is that who we're <laughs> no, losing? No, you're not yeah, losing me. I think we're losing you. Um, but the roads are bad at Oceanside, but they are marked. They tape them pretty well, and even if you're in error, you can see them. So don't be too concerned about it. And if it's a super rough section, they do, like, no passing or... Yeah. It's it's as well marked as it could be, but I think because it's in the middle military base, they can't just go pave the roads. Right. 
there's like it's not a government yeah. whatever. Definitely a good one. To just be looking up more often yeah. than not. Yeah, totally. And final thing, Elizabeth, remember to check that your wheels you're using are tubeless compatible, and that the tires that you're going to get are also tubeless compatible. Safety first. Safety first. Safety third. Next question here is from Jake from State Farm. <laughs> hey, TTL crew, training question. If I'm doing a workout on my trainer and my kicker is in erg mode and my trainer automatically adjusts to the power for me, do you think it matters if I spin in the small ring versus the big ring? Whether I push 200 watts in the small or big ring, 200 watts is 200 watts, right? Do you see any advantage of spinning in big versus small? Thanks, hmm. Jake from State Farm. 200 watts is 200 watts, that is however. A, that is a great question. No, because on erg mode, if you shift up or shift down, the tension of the erg adjusts to that shift. Correct. So but, you're always going 200 watts. So te- so technically speaking, Jake is correct. It doesn't yes. matter what gear ratio when you will be pushing the same. However, what about the people who stay in the exact same cassette cog the whole winter and then they go outside and they are completely worn down their cassette in one place? Or people, are, I don't know. What about chain lines? Like you're gonna wear out your chain faster potentially if it's if you're cross. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, if you want to just like shift it every couple rides or a couple times in the ride, often if you like shift while you're in erg mode, there'll be a little bit of a lag, like right. harder, easier, and then it recalibrates and puts you back in the gear in the power you're supposed to be well, at. Do either of you ride in erg mode? Eric does not, and you do, right, Paula? I do pretty often. Yeah. What do you do? Well, I'm not always riding in erg mode, so I do shift quite a lot on Zwift or on the Wahoo. And then if I'm doing erg mode, it's just kind of in the middle. Do you do you not feel like this urge to instinctively shift when you see a hill coming up or something? Like, oh, I gotta gotta prepare. Gotta no, shift I down. am a Zwift robot, Nick. Okay. <laughs> do you even like look at whether or not you're coming to a hill when you're in erg mode? I feel like no, I often not. Because in erg mode, it doesn't matter, right? You're yeah. always pushing this. Yeah, if lots. I'm in erg mode, I'm kind of just zoned out and doing something else or doing. Whatever. Right. I sometimes I'll just put it at a thing to make sure I don't go too hard. So, do we have any advice? Uh, my my one thought is that there. No, the answer is that he can put it any gear he wants, and it's fine. No the, difference. The no difference in the power. Yeah, which is what he cares. Or about. or minimal dif- distance. My difference. one thought is that potentially, if you're spinning a bigger gear, that flywheel has a little bit more momentum and might be a little more natural. Road feel. Feel. Yeah. Got it. Mm, I guess there is some like drive terrain friction loss if you're cross chaining, but this seems like it would be negligible because technically it's reading the power at the, at the cassette. Yeah. Thanks Jake from safe farm. Uh, next question here is from Matt. Hi guys. I need help on picking out a new triathlon bike. My current bike is 12 years old and it's about time to upgrade. Agreed. My gut tells me to buy a nice used tri bike and save some money to add all potential upgrades I would want to make it fit me perfectly. Shorter cranks, custom bars, etc. Trying to be somewhat economical and not spend $17,000, but do essentially want a super bike. He gives a little more context here, but I'm going to skip to the interesting part. I was wondering if having aero bottles and compartments on the outside of the bike are actually faster. I typically race everywhere from the sprint to 70.3, but also do the occasional Ironman if this changes your thoughts. Any insight would be appreciated. Thanks, Matt. I'm going to add a little bit of context here. For people who don't know, usually triathlon bikes have much bigger shapes, tube shapes, so that they can kind of catch the wind in an advantageous way. And also, triathlon bikes, if it's just for triathlon, they do not have to adhere to the UCI rules, which is the governing body for cycling. So they can get away with like these kind of weirder shapes. So, so what he's saying is kind of makes sense, right? You add, like let's say, an aero bottle it might make the bike even faster than from, direct from the manufacturer. 
Have you guys tested any of this kind of stuff? Have you found this to be true? Um, well, when we went to the wind tunnel, and, and this is Shiv TT specific, um, but they found with that bike, adding an aero bottle on the down tube did not hurt or improve the aerodynamics. Was so that surprising? It, uh, I, I guess I didn't really have much expectation, but I always under the impression that anything on the down tube was, was worse. Um, well, and these bottles are not made specifically by Specialized, so it's, it, it was surprising me that it was not... It, it had no impact one way or the other. What about a round bottle, like a regular bottle on the down tube? Horrendous. Generally speaking, horrendous. Very slow. Yeah. Horrendous is the wrong word. Well, I remember the tech saying that every time they test it, it is significantly yeah. slower. But people are now adding like fairings to the back of their saddle. Yeah, so that... And, and then they mount a bottle cage on top of it to make it look which like... Which is ex- kind of exactly what Matt yeah. is saying. Fairings are less regulated in triathlon, well, so people are doing crazy stuff. I don't think you are technically allowed to add fairings to your bike. They have to be functional. They have to serve a, oh, okay. a, a, a functional purpose for them to be allowed. So it's like, oh, technically it's a storage box, or technically it's a reservoir. Gotcha. And, Empty storage box. Or I'm attaching my bottle. bottle yeah. With it. yeah. But yeah, I, I would say, Matt, I would say don't be too concerned about something like that. Make sure you focus on a bike that fits you well, that you can add whatever you need to it, like the shorter cranks, whatever you need. That stuff is way more important at this point. Than adding stuff to the outside of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, those those little things like adding it to the back or whatever, we're talking about like two two watts. Yeah, you know, and like, very individual. Extremely. We were talking about this question before we recorded the podcast, and I thought, Eric, you said something really interesting. You said, uh, you know... As an age grouper, you know, do whatever you can to, to be smart about getting faster. As a professional, you just have to test it in the wind tunnel because that makes the biggest difference. What works for one person doesn't work for someone else. It's, like, it's a whole system. It's not just the helmet. It's not just the bottle, just the wheels. Yeah, it's crazy how individual it is, even though your eyes might say, oh, that's fast or that's slow. Next question here is from Will. Hello, TTL Posse. My question is regarding nutrition. I've done five full Ironmans and I'm currently training for my sixth in Texas in April. At 50 years old, turning 51 next month, I'm finding that my appetite is incredibly variable, particularly during some of the longer sessions at the end of my training program. And by variable, I mean following my long ride this weekend at four and a half hours, I know that I burned through about 3,000 calories, but sometimes after those sessions, my appetite seems to be moderately suppressed. I've heard that the generation of ketones and byproducts of burning fat can do this. My question to you is, do you ever experience appetite suppression from long sessions? And do you just cram food down anyway afterwards because you know your body needs calories? Thanks for all you guys do. Will from Chandler, Arizona. Yeah, I I definitely don't feel super hungry after a lot of sessions, even though I should be at this or I am at this huge deficit. Um, I find I actually am hungriest on like an easier recovery rest day. Because it's like your body realizes that it maybe wasn't fully compensated for the hard, all the work you did in the days prior. So um, I don't know. How about you, Eric? I also find that if you fuel appropriately during the activity, you shouldn't c- come home feeling like you need to like raid the fridge. Yeah, ideally. Um, for, for me, it's like kind of it's temperature dependent outside. If it's really hot, I don't. I might feel like kind of sick and not very hungry. And if it's a very intense session, I definitely find I need to like, I'm just going to drink this smoothie because I know that I need it, even though I don't want Liquid to. Liquid calories. It does not sound appetizing. I just, this is fuel in the tank. That's what's so good about smoothies. 
It's a lot of calories. It's easy to get down. It's quick. If we're in the van and I don't have that and then all that we have is a cliff bar or like a stack of lunch meat, I will eat whatever it is. I'll just even yes. though you don't want this to, this is right? my job. It does not matter if I want to eat it or not. Yeah, that's the main point: is your appetite is suppressed, especially after really hard sessions. Yeah, but you have to eat after it. And I, I like what you said, Paula. Like fueling during the ride is priority number one. But then once it's done, yeah, you're never going to make up the amount of calories you're losing. Though you're always going to be at a deficit, so it just feels less urgent and panicky. You know that feeling you get when you come home from a long ride and you're so hungry. You shouldn't get to that level necessarily. You should be eating enough to suppress that urgency. Totally. Um, but it's definitely a hard session problem. If I'm just doing a easy long ride, I, I do get hungry at the end. I do find that it's it's the worst for me, at least, with running, with hard running. Oh, yeah. More so than hard swimming or hard I'm biking. like sick for the rest tempo of the tummy. day if I do a run. Yeah, it's tempo tummy. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. I, start, I think I should start doing tempos in the evening just so I don't have to deal with that all day. Do you guys ever eat during your tempo runs? I take a gel. gel. I take a gel. Yeah. Our, our tempo runs lately have been like an hour and 20 minutes. We've been doing a gel after the warm up. Oh, so like 20 minutes in or 30 minutes in? Yeah, I mean, if you have it with 20 minutes to go, it's not even hitting your bloodstream until you're done. Yeah, interesting. I'll try to eat it slowly through the whole tempo, more to practice Got taking fuel stuff. while running. Mm, yeah, smart. It's mm. not even about needing 30 grams of carbs. Well, maybe it is, whatever, but. I mean, it doesn't hurt. And teaching your body to be able to utilize the carbohydrates during activity is yeah. great. I, I do like precision for that. The gel consistency lets you take kind of sips of it. Mm, like instead of Morton, it's just like, whoop. Yeah, That's what I was Morton trying to tell is, you. Morton yeah. is one glob. I like, I like the glob, I like the glob but. on the bike because you don't, you want to take it all at once. But on the run, oh, that's I'm taking like yeah. half a gel at a time on the run. And precision is so thick that it lets you kind of... I like to that. time it out in a race with water. So I take the gel right before I get water. Sorry, the oil is just scored here, everybody. <laughs> we don't have, we, we don't know. They, we, but we're not watching it. It's not, not definitely not on. <laughs> uh, but yes. Yeah, so even though your appetite is suppressed, you kind of have to fight that a little bit and still get calories down. This is really why smoothies and shakes are so good because especially if you, yeah, go ahead. No, no, it's just, just that. That's kind of what they're designed for. It's like, it's easy. It's fast. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to chew. You don't have to cook. It's just like, get that in, replenish those glycogen stores. And one thing that's for sure after training, I'm always thirsty. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to, especially if you're in Arizona, like this guy. It's a win-win. Super hot. Yeah. Yeah. Next question here is from Jackie. Hi, TTL crew. I'm very new to triathlon. And so I am also new to all the gear. I just got my first wetsuit, Roka Maverick Comp 2, and what I expected was a much easier swim. What I didn't expect was incredible shoulder fatigue. I did all the research and have the right fit. I'm wondering if this is normal or just a beginner first time in a wetsuit thing, or if there are any specific drills to help with this, or if it's just time spent in the wetsuit. Thanks for all you do, Jackie. You Uh, got the wrong wetsuit, Jackie. Oh, really? Because it's funny. I had the same wetsuit and I had the same problem. Do you guys remember, like, I've had it a couple of times where my shoulders, like, 200 into a 70.3 are so, they're on yeah, fire. Yeah, I used to get that, too, with with some wetsuits that I tried. Oh, so you think it is wetsuit dependent? I yes. think it is, yeah. I, because I, you know what kind of confirms this is when I spend a lot of time getting as much material as I can up from my waist and my torso up into my shoulders, it's not as bad. Yeah. Yep. It's like a tightness or the thickness of the material there. When we were doing back-to-back testings with the Orca, they have a float that has a little bit more buoyancy and material in the elbows. 
the flex that has the least and then the flow in the middle, which we ultimately preferred in the end. But when I got in the water with the, the float, I could feel more shoulder fatigue because you were, you're just like kind of fighting against the material that's there versus in some of the top of the line, super thin shoulder ones, you have more momentum. I remember you said that about the flex, that it was such a natural shoulder movement. Yeah. You feel like you're not wearing anything. Yeah. But you pay a little bit of a buoyancy penalty as yeah. a result. And for an age grouper, I feel like the buoyancy is key. It so is. Yeah, I don't think this person needs to worry and go buy a new wetsuit. I like but what, yeah, I like what you were saying, Nick, about making sure you get it into your shoulders. Yeah. And it's not like you don't want to have any extra space in your crotch. Like Make sure that the legs are up far enough. Yeah, pull it up really well and then hoist it up so that you got a little extra room in your shoulders. That's a good. That, that's those a good suits idea. have little guides on like your elbow, your shoulder, and your knees to tell you where they should be falling. Oh, so when you cool. put it on, yeah. you can have it. Yeah. That's what the numbers are for. That's what the numbers are for. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I, I did like that, but like the priority here is your shoulders for sure. That is where you want to be like have as much flexibility as possible in your hips, your legs. It's just not as as consequential to your swim. Yeah. yeah. Last thing I'll say, you get what you pay for with wetsuits. Unfortunately, I really do believe that, you know, we were talking about like SRAM Red versus SRAM Force. Yeah. Hard to tell the difference. $800 wetsuit versus a $500 wetsuit versus a $300 wetsuit. Noticeable. Wow. I've never swam with in like sh- a, a nice wetsuit. You can tell. With, with flex- yeah. shoulder flexibility. Yeah. I would love to try a really nice wetsuit and to see if I can, and me, who, an average swimmer, could feel a difference. I think Only you're my to. size. Yeah, I know. We I got know. a lot to try. I know. Uh, well, I was going to say one more thing. Okay, think about it. Think real hard. <laughs> Maximum effort. Okay, secretly behind the scenes here, we've let Paula think for 60 seconds and she still hasn't remembered, so we might come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, next question here is from Julia. Hi, Paula, Eric, Nick, and Flynn. This question is mainly for Nick, but I'd love to hear what Paula and Eric have to say. Nick, how is your flip turn journey going? Flip I picked turn up turn journey. It's been a how long has it been since I started like fully committed to flip turning? But it's because of the podcast that we I did it. I wish we would have thought of flip turn journey a long yeah. time ago. And you could have had like a journey inspired theme yeah, song for right. it. Oh like, my god, that's don't good. stop believing. <laughs> that's good. It's called turns. Don't Stop Breathing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so how's your flip turn journey going? I picked up swimming two years ago. And following my husband's triathlon journey and leaning into my own, I built up my confidence enough to start committing to flip turns around the same time as Nick. At least that's my impression based on the podcast episodes. Yeah, that was that was true. That was all true. That's that's right when I started doing it. So far, so good for me. But when I'm doing a tough effort, I find that my flip turn quality fades. I start to get panicky about my breathing as I approach the wall. And there's a fear that I won't have enough air while I flip. This leads me to take a breaststroke style breath so I don't pass out or something. What has Nick learned? Does this get better with more experience? What do Eric and Paula have to say? I love everything TTL. Thank you for inspiring an amateur triathlete like me. Training for Boulder 70.3 in June for my first 70.3. Hyped! Best, Julia. Congratulations, Julia. That's awesome. So I'll just, my little thing here, I was actually just complaining to this about two friends that I was swimming with today, is that the only thing I get caught up on is sometimes I just... I guess I don't see properly and I misjudge where the wall is. And I'd say one out of every 40 flip turns, I like almost don't kick the wall and like trying to just like flop like a fish in the water a little bit. Are you not sighting the T? I am, but like the I, it's the, the goggles that I use. They're like strangely a little bit magnified oh. and they confuse my perspective a little bit. Weird. Uh, but also my pool is, it gets deeper and deeper uh, depending on what lane you're in. So it's a little bit hard to 
Take some time to get used to. Yeah. But other than that, the only time that I ever have that same instinct as usually is if I'm truly so, so, so gassed at a really hard effort later in the swim set. And then I do panic a little bit about not having enough breath. Uh, but but I, I feel totally normal swimming with flip turns now. Like it is ingrained in me. It, it, it wasn't, it was, it was a worthwhile That's cool. switch. That's cool. What do you guys think about? What a journey. What do you think about Julia's flip turning and committing to it? I could see it being a little scary if you're like very out of breath or hypoxic and doing a hard thing. I never really think about that. Do you, Eric? Like, oh, I'm trying so hard. I have to do an open turn. Yes. Really? 100% of the time when we're in bend. When you're at altitude, I almost—it's a terrible habit, but I almost all the time double breathe into the wall when we're in bend at altitude. Double as in right, left, right, left, right, left, wow. left, maximum oxygen. Yep, extremely slow. So that, extremely I was going to ask you this, and this was something I was thinking about this today. I was like, oh, I remember when I was first doing committing to the flip turns, I had to think a lot about okay, take a big breath this last one here because you're not going to get a breath. And now I don't really think about that. I wonder if I'm still doing it. Do you guys think you do that? I mean, the harder it gets, yeah. But but not like, oh, take a big breath. You just instinctively are gasping, yeah. knowing that you're gonna it's going to be two seconds before you take a breath again. And does it kind of blow your mind when you see professional swimmers, like the amount of time they spend underwater is much more than you guys do. You guys pretty much come up and start pulling again, which makes sense because the underwater stuff is kind of irrelevant for you anyway. Yeah. But does it blow your mind how long they can, at their race pace, not take a breath? It's something they train for, yeah, for sure. They train for it a lot. The like hypoxic stuff, holds yeah. And last fifty of a two hundred fly, you're going out to the fifteen meter mark, but you'll yeah, notice they do it the, less and less the longer the race is, right? Yeah, because they just need it. It's you can't maximum be maximum oxygen, you know. When we're when we're training at altitude, like in Flagstaff, Paulo tells us to breathe every two. You know, most coaches are like bilateral breathing is better, or. But he's like, get in as much oxygen as you can. Well, how often, we've talked about this like a hundred episodes ago, but how often do you bilateral breathe ever? Never. I think I go like three, two, two, three, two, two. Oh. Uh, yeah, we, Eric and I were watching a pro- professional swimmer do that too. Like kind of alternate their breathing pattern. Yeah. I forget who it was. Yeah, three, two, two. That's interesting. So it's, is it not really so based on- you breathe on, every two all the time, Eric? hundred percent of the time. I never breathe every three. And always, on, always to the same side. Yeah, like I said, occasionally I'll like come off the wall and take one breath to the left, but then I'll do a, a double breath and get back to the right side. Yeah. I don't ever breathe every three. And do you, do you, is this ever a problem for you swimming in surf where the waves are crashing from one side or anything like that? Uh, no, because I can pretty comfortably breathe to the right and immediately breathe to the left. And so I can like switch from the right to the left really quickly That's without cool. having to hold my breath for any length of time. And, um, yeah, I didn't no. know that. I didn't know that about your double breath thing. There was we there don't was, swim and surf that often. Like Ocean Side gets canceled if there's any significant surf and you swim straight out into it. It's very uncommon that you swim like parallel to shore right. lately. So in conclusions, first of all, Julia, we're very proud of you for, for switching to flip turn. I know it's like it's kind of uncomfortable when you're used to having that big breath at the wall. And it's also like a, just like a tiny bit of mental rest of just okay, I'm at the wall, and then you, you push off. But it is worth it. Next question here is from Zach from Inglewood, Colorado. Hey, TTL team, quick question for the pod here. 
I'm a competitive age grouper and competing in Boulder, and while I love to push myself physically, I can't help but feel like there's one barrier that I can't quite overcome, finances. While there are many things that are outside of my budget, power meter, decent wetsuit, aero helmet, super shoes, even a coach, the top piece of gear that always seems to hold me back is a TT bike. While I've got a solid road bike with clip-on aero bars, the way you guys speak about having a TT bike is essentially like it's a given or a no-brainer if you want to be at the top of your ability level. Truly love just about everything about triathlon, the diversity of fitness and training, the community, always being able to learn more about how to best train, fuel, rest, and recover. But I have to admit the financial burden is pretty discouraging for someone that's trying to win my age group but not making six figures. So all of that being said, is triathlon a sport for the rich or at least if you're trying to be a competitive age grouper? Thanks for all you guys do for the sport and community. Zach. I feel a little defensive about my sport here right now <laughs> because I feel like there are so many sports where there's the gear costs a lot or you need membership fees or you need like for golf, you need the, whatever the tee fees or for skiing, the lift tickets. I would say most sports are for the rich if we're talking about how, like what is rich, right? But um, all, all sports take a degree of gear and triathlon is no different. It takes a lot of gear and you can go as hard as you want on it. But I also do feel like if you're good at looking out for deals and you don't feel like you need the latest bike from last year, which you don't, you can, you can get by. And I like my first three triathlon bikes were all under a thousand dollars and I put them together from a frame that I got from somebody for, for cheap and like mowed some lawns and it's possible to be on a TT bike. And the most important thing about a TT bike is the aerodynamic position that it puts your body in and you don't need a $10,000 frame for that. Yeah. It's not the bike. It's the position you're in. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. There are sports that you really can do for very little, like soccer, running. You can yep. do those, but I, I think they are generally the minority. Yeah. I mean, if you play, the thing is you might say, Oh, basketball, you can just go to your local YMCA. Well, this isn't the equivalent. You're trying to win your age group. That's not the same as playing at your local basketball. You're trying to play with like legit people. That's the difference there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't think it's a fair, that's kind of like a false equivalency there. Doing triathlon for fun. This is like, I mean, I guess it is fun, but you're trying to like really be competitive. Yeah. Be a high performer. And you can be with Eric, you were winning races, right? You yeah. did well with, with that gear. Of course. I made it, I made it a really long way. And even my first couple bikes that I raced on as a professional athlete were not very fancy and they were three years old. I wonder if there's any kind of way to do like community stuff in exchange for discounts at local bike shops, like get to know your bike shop. Maybe they could help you if you're if you're actually one of the fastest age groupers. There was an interesting video I remember watching on YouTube a while ago. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Vegan Cyclist, but he was he went to a Cat One race and interviewed a bunch of people and asked them how much did you pay for this bike, and none of them paid full price. Yeah, not a single one of them paid full price. But they did pay for them. They did pay some for them. Maybe some were like fully sponsored. Wait, this is in the Cat One field. This is in the well, it was like Cat One and Two or whatever. But it was like yeah. California, you know, like fast people who have real jobs. Yeah, I mean the Cat One field is is like the bro deal field. Yes, bro deal exactly. Like all everybody expects to get a bike for cheap because they're fast. But if you're trying to win your age group, I, I, I don't know what kind of races, but if you're trying to win a seventy point three age group, you are very, very, very fast, very fit, and there are teams out there that would like Everyman Jack, 
or and, and they offer discounts on bikes or they, that's true you know there there is something like that so you kind of could earn your way into that but that seems like kind of like an outlier situation yeah. i just i just don't want to set the expectation of like oh you might be winning a 70.3 age group field like you should expect to not pay for a bike no that's not rather, what i'm saying rather than like i'm saying like a be 15% okay getting off thing. just be okay getting a used bike there's so many used bikes and you can be really fast on a bike from 10 years ago if yeah. you set it up right. If you live in Boulder, go to Pro's Closet or talk to any of the pros that live there who want to sell their lives. Talk to one bike. of the people who buy a brand new bike every yeah. single year yeah. and yeah, need to get rid of their old if you bike. Make, make triathlon friends, be part of a triathlon club, Like that's going to just come up naturally. But is it a sport for the rich? Not, as, not, not any more than many other sports. Yeah. But... In the grand scheme of things, yes, it's a privilege to to it's do a very sport. Privilege sport, not yeah. just not just triathlon. It Pools is a privilege to do any sport, and the fact that we get to do sport instead of focusing purely on our survival is awesome. It's great, and it's an advancement in humanity. That got deep. That got deep. Last question here. This is from Ryan. Hey guys, Glenn, do you have something to say? Shaking up a storm over there. Hey guys, I was curious what you all thought a focused training block for one of our three sports. I'm getting out of the military this month and have a three week period where I need to drive roughly three plus hours a day to and from base. Considering factors like working around traffic in Southern California, a closed pool on base, and an unrealistic ability to ride before work. Do you think it would be a good time to spend these three weeks focusing on my run? I can get a run in on base early, which helps me avoid traffic, then a strength and mobility session at lunch, and lastly, an easy swim or bike in the evening after my long drive home to loosen up. Am I better off just keeping my normal intensity distribution between all three sports with a lot less weekly volume because of the drive time, or would it be better choice to use these mornings to get a good three-week block of highly focused work in on the run while my overall volume is reduced. Of note, my next race is still 11 weeks out and I'm only racing sprints this year before moving back up the distances over the next few seasons. So speed is what I'm looking for. Thank you for accompanying many of my treadmill runs while overseas, Ryan. Interesting, right? Yeah, I think um, doing a focus block with one of the three sports is kind of an interesting approach sometimes that is not a bad idea. And if it fits into your lifestyle and what you're currently doing, it's a good thing. It's kind of fun to dive deep into one of them and get some of those gains that I think you can only get when you focus so much on one. I just get a little scared with running because your fitness is probably able to do so much more running without the swimming and the biking. But like we said last week, there are other parts of your body that don't really care how fit you are. Yeah. Yeah. You do have to really be careful with running about you know, if you double your run mileage, but you're not doubling your training hours that, I mean, you're, you're at the same training hours you were with the bike and the swim, um, that can get really dangerous. But in terms of like focusing on one thing, not having fatigue from the other two sports is a really interesting experiment and can help you make that jump. It's why I got good on the bike when I was injured running, had all that extra energy to like put into that sport or during COVID when none of us could swim, I put a lot more focus on my run and it got better, so removing one is not always a bad thing. And I think when you reinsert yourself into the other two, you'll find that you haven't really lost much, if any. And if you were Ryan, would you try to do something about mitigating swim or or bike fitness loss, like maybe one session a week or something? Or yeah, more for like the feel. I think that's important, especially swimming. You can do one a week, but 
he's he's training for a sprint that kind of like makes me more calm about the whole thing yeah because he could do nothing and still finish it's not like he's training for an Ironman, you know? Yeah, waking up really early for the bike, I totally get it. That sounds that I would sounds not terrible. do that. I think sleep is important over Oh yeah. Over other things. Especially if you're running a lot, that yeah. sleep is so important to yeah. the, your recovery. Yeah, Eric wants nothing to do with this question. He's uh I don't know why. Doesn't have anything to add. Yeah, I just think you had a really good answer for it with you being injured and the COVID and all the things. I just Full support, full agreeance. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Eric. I don't want to just re-explain re what you said or if anything. If you hear the crinkling, it's me getting Hirsch Cadbury mini eggs out of the right. wrapper. And now if you hear the crinkling, it's me getting the Cadbury <laughs> eggs out of the wrapper. <laughs> uh, you know those like when an ad for fast food comes up on TV? God, those were designed for me. A second I see a Taco Bell ad, it's just like, oh, now I, at some point in the next week, I need Taco Bell. Oh, you, it influences you. It, it does. And luckily, I basically don't see ads anymore because I don't watch TV and I, I have YouTube premium, so I don't watch, I don't see ads. I've never seen like a food ad and thought, oh, I need that right now. I've never not seen a food ad and not thought, <laughs> I don't need that right now. It has worked on me 100% of the time. I am the marketing demographic. Like the juicy beef and all that? What's juicy beef? You know, when they show you in the commercial. Oh, oh sorry. Like a, like a, like a, a burger. Yeah. I'm like, well, I guess yeah. I'm going to get a burger right now. Wow. Not a real burger. It's just, it's like a spot, brown sponge. Did you guys know that? Water. And the mayonnaise is like Elmer's glue. Yes. Like those things of are course. totally inedible. It just looks better on camera to have these other things. Well, that's why it always impresses me that Lindsay Corbin and Chris Corbin, they do food photography for a lot of brands or like the marketing and stuff. Oilers got another goal. We're up 4-2. Four, four we're playing L.A., so it's even more satisfying. What's that supposed to mean? Because we're, we're in, in LA. L.A. Oh, right, 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 we're right. We're in L.A. We're beating L.A. Right, right, right. But Lindsay actually designs, cooks in the kitchen the recipes herself. Chris photographs them. She plates them. She plates them. And then we eat it. Like, it's so tasty as well. It it's looks so impressive. Good. And I'm like, Lindsay, you know that a lot of the people that also do this are making like fake food to take pictures of like a lot of the things are not edible like toxic <laughs> yeah she's they're really talented those two yeah um was that just a sidetrack that was a sidetrack okay yeah but ryan that's awesome you're gonna be you're gonna be great even if you're just running for the next few weeks just be a little careful with uh ramping up the volume obviously yeah well, that's it. Those are all the questions that we had. We did, even though I was here this weekend, I drove back up so we could all be together as a family here. Yeah, we really appreciate that, Nick. And it is way eggs. better when we're all together. We love it. Also, it's way less editing for me after the fact. Yeah, maybe actually say, like the amount of time you save editing, does it equal the drive? Two and a half hours. No, it That's not what it took there. you to get here? No, it's just there and back. Oh. Yeah. It'll, it'll be 245 total today. It's they're your own in, fault that you're not sleeping over. Again, a Tesla tail. I have tomorrow morning. I have a video shoot. I gotta do on the on the beach and a doctor's appointment. They're gonna tell me I eat too many Cadbury eggs. I bet. I overheard you talking about it. It sounds like a pretty simple video shoot. It is a very. It's very not like a huge shot list. It's no, not it's not like you can't sleep over. <laughs> I have to be at the doctor's <laughs> at nine thirty, and the camera gear has to be charged and ready to go as soon as I'm done. Nick, you're talking to a triathlon podcast and telling them that nine thirty is early. <laughs> You're right, but that is early. They're like, for me. oh, so you have six hours <laughs> in the morning to do your oh things. Oh my god! Most of my triathlon <laughs> friends are in bed at like nine fifteen. Yeah, p.m. Actually, you know what? 
Uh, we'll do a poll on the Spotify podcast episode this week. What time do you go to sleep at normally? I think that would be kind of fun. I think people lie about this. Oh, really? They lie yeah. in which direction? Earlier. They lie earlier? Yeah. To seem nerdier and less fun? And no, like to seem like I am a... I am a Put I am together. No I suck. <laughs> I listen to Huberman. I care about my sleep. Right. That type of person. I see. <laughs> okay, we better go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, that's all we got, folks. This was fun. Yet again. I love it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye.